Well, good morning again. I just want to welcome uh, everybody here. Thanks for smashing in a little bit. Having We have our kiddos in with us. We have a family service this morning, so uh, only our, our little littles are being uh, taken care of in our, our children's ministry. And so kids, we love having you here. Hopefully you got uh, a, a little worksheet for you to be able to do during our time together. In fact, if you want to do that after the service, if you'll go to our little table, we have a table back over here after the service, if you'll take your completed sheet uh, to this, to our welcome center, our welcome area, then we'd love to just, we have a little treat we want to give to you, just a way of saying we're glad to have you with us here this morning. Kiddos, love having you in here. I want to welcome everybody. If you're new here this morning, my name's Keith Robertson. I'm the pastor here at New River Fellowship and uh, love what God is doing here, what he's building. And we're honored to have you. Uh, if you are new, in the chair back in front of you is a connection card. If you would, grab that connection card and you can fill it out. Then after the service, you can take that to the same welcome area. We have a welcome table here. If you'll come to this foyer back over here after service, we have somebody that's... Con- We'll be there to connect with you. And we just want to uh, give a gift to you. It's a small gift, just a way of trying to communicate to you. We're really honored to have you here. We love having new people come and be a part of what God is doing here at New River Fellowship. We believe that God has a really powerful purpose for this church that, um, and when I say church, I don't mean this building. I mean that the people of God here are meant to make a real difference in the city uh, all over Nashville. And so we're thankful for the, the plan that God has for our church and uh, the role that we all get to play as a part of that. And so uh, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you and get, just say thank you for coming. So please take that opportunity. If you're a part of our church family, you can get your tithes and offerings ready to honor the Lord with. This is our chance just to worship Jesus and say, Jesus, we trust you with all of our lives. Um, and we trust you in all that you provide for us. And we get to declare that through tithes and offerings here. Um, and so we'll do that. Our ushers are going to go ahead and come. You're going to get a basket. You grab the basket and pass it all the way across the room, and we'll t- pick it up for you. Um, if, if you're new, you don't need to feel any obligation whatsoever. We don't do uh, heavy-handed uh, obligation on that. This is just for our people. All of our people have made a covenant with us to help resource our church with the mission that God has called us to. And so that's why we do this as a convenience for them. A, a, a couple of things that we just want to keep in front of you. Uh, next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday may be the greatest day of your life. Let me tell you why. It's food truck Sunday. And I don't think that there's anything better than, than uh, the church coming together around food trucks. I feel like there's like a, that's a holy thing. And so um, we're looking forward to that. If you, uh, I want to encourage you to come, but not just come. Would you invite somebody to come and hang out with us that Sunday? Uh, so what's going to happen is we'll be here at our normal time, 10 o'clock, and that at the end of that time, we'll have a couple of food trucks set up for you to be able to come. And uh, we've, what we've done is we've worked out a deal, so we're going to knock down the price. So every, uh, every meal is just $5. So $5 per person. We're making it super uh, affordable for uh, families to be able to come and do this. We want you to come. Uh, we'll have the food truck out there, $5 a person. We have some awesome stuff. There may or may not be a bounce house for the kids. And so we're going to have a blast. We just want you to come uh, enjoy time together here as we lift up the name of Jesus and then just as we continue to connect with each other and connect with new people. If you know someone that doesn't have a church home or maybe they haven't been in church for a long time, just ask them to come. In fact, we're starting a brand new series next week. And what we're going to do is we're going to do four weeks exploring what Jesus actually said about himself. So there's several ways that Jesus says, I am 
And he finishes that statement with several, several different things. We're gonna explore who is Jesus, what did he say about himself, and what does that mean for our everyday lives? So that's all launching next week. So we want you to come. It's gonna be a really, really fun time. Then two weeks from now, on April 7th, is our, uh, our next membership class. So a lot of you have been asking about how can you jump into this church family? How can you jump in with a body here? Uh, you can come to that class. What that is is lunch right after service, so we'll feed you. We'll also take care of your kids if you'll let us know you're coming. We want you to be able to come and just hear about what God is doing in our church, where we're headed as a church body, uh, where the mission and vision that God has given to us. We'll let you know that. We'll have food there. And then if you're interested in jumping into the family, you can uh, join our church at the end of that time. Uh, if you're not, if you want to keep praying and you're not maybe ready to jump in, that's great too. But we want you to come and be a part of that class. Uh, that is next Sunday. You can sign up for that. Actually, you can just email mary at newriverfellowship.com. Uh, you can uh, send that email there. Let us know you're coming, and we'll be glad to, uh, to have you, all right? Those are the things we wanted to remind you of. This morning, uh, we're very, very blessed. Uh, our church has uh, several or a few men that uh, give leadership, that give uh, kind of a fathering heart to this church. So we have our elders here who help govern and lead our church. We have faithful men who love Jesus and uh, lead our church, but we have a group of men called overseers and they play uh, a voice of wisdom to our church. Uh, they play a voice of encouragement to our church. They, play, they even play a voice of accountability to our church. We're very thankful for these men. We always want them speaking into the life of this church. Last week, we had an opportunity to have one of those men, Don Finto, share uh, with us and just speaking into what it means to be uh, identified with God and to step into his calling in our lives. Today, we have another opportunity to hear from one of our overseer, overseers, Jason Gilbreth. Uh, who has who was first and foremost instrumental in, in bringing uh, us, our family here to New River Fellowship. In fact, uh, like from the first minute we talked on the phone, we were buddies and, uh, and, and we wanted to hang out even though we were many states away. But uh, we spent a lot of time on the phone, which I feel like we really developed a strong relationship over the phone. Uh, and so um, uh, love, love him, his heart. And uh, he has some incredible things to just, I think, impart to our church and so we're honored, 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 and glad to have him. Would you guys help me welcome Jason Gilbreth? All right, well, good morning. I hope you are well. So I, I, I want to get this down just a little bit. There we go. Sorry about that. But it is great to see you. And I will tell you, um, gosh, it's... It's a great weekend in March here in uh, lovely Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. And Keith and I, uh, we did connect over the phone before we met in person. And, you know, I know he just mentioned the food truck. So when I heard food, food trucks and church, I was like, that is of the Lord. So just so you know. So Keith and I, uh, we talked about other things, but I think on our first interchange, we definitely had a very robust barbecue discussion. Is that right? <laughs> So it is an honor to be here with you, and we, we do live in Alabama now. We were here uh, in Middle Tennessee in this area for better part of 10 years, and love being here. We feel like we still have two homes. My wife, Rachel, is my better half by a mile, so if you, I, I, if you haven't met her, I'm, I'm sorry because she really is my better half. My daughter, Kinsley, is here with us today, uh, but Rachel and Mallory, um, Mallory is 19, sophomore in college, and she and Rachel 
are actually out of the country right now. They're in the uh, Dominican Republic. So Mallory, my daughter, is going to nursing school. She begins nursing school in the fall. So she had an opportunity to go with my first cousin, who is a, he's an internal medicine physician that loves Jesus. And so they do a medical mission trip to the Dominican every year. And that's why Rachel and Mallory aren't here. So I know they would love to be here. And I promise you, I got a Marco Polo this morning that said, please tell everybody I love them. So for those of you that are not as technologically advanced as I am, uh, I have Marco Polo as of 24 hours ago, which is a video chat app. So I feel so sophisticated. But um, I did hear from Rachel in this morning, and they give their love. So uh, it's really great to see you. And I think everybody here in Middle Tennessee, or most everyone, is just coming off spring break, correct? Who loves some spring break? Um, all the teachers in the house said, yes. <laughs> Um, I will tell you that a lot of people tend to take a trip and do some fun things during spring break and go on a vacation even. I got to tell you, I have three rules or three strikes for spring break and, and fun vacations. So listen, now you, I'm not going to charge you for these. These are free. But I promise you, if you follow these three, you'll always have a winning trip. So strike number one is if it's expensive. Strike one. Strike number two if it's hot, like really hot. Strike number three, if it's really crowded. So you can deal with two of the three. If it's hot and crowded, but it's on the cheap, that's good. If, it is, if it's expensive and hot, but it's not crowded, you can live with that. But I'm telling you, if you got all three, you don't want to do it. Don't even book the trip. So I must say, though, trips are fun. And I hope that you have had a good spring break. I want to talk to you today about culture, talk to you about culture, and it's actually, I've, I've never spoke on this exact topic in this way, so I really felt like this is what the Lord uh, asked me to share. See, culture is really what we're known for, and specifically, I want to talk about a life-giving culture, a life-giving culture in our families, in our communities, and in our church. A life-giving culture. See, culture is what we're known for. It is how people that are in the family experience the family. People that are not in the family, but they interact with the family. How do they experience the family? The same way with the community. How people in this church experience this church. How people that are not in this church, but interact with it in some way. How do they experience it? it what is the culture of the church or of the family. And on that note, see, culture is determined, it's really determined by what we discipline versus what we celebrate. Culture is really determined by what we allow and what we don't allow. That's in our homes, that's in our communities, and it's in our churches. I want you to think about this. Uh, I have to travel a fair amount, and you go to different cities. Do the cities kind of have their own culture, their own vibe? You think about that. You go to a place like, oh, Memphis. You know, Memphis has, a, has its own vibe. You go to a place like New Orleans. It has its own vibe. You go to a place like one of the oldest cities in the country, St. Augustine in Florida. It, it has its own vibe. You come to Franklin, Tennessee. It has its own. You go to Las Vegas, Nevada. It has its own. Now, you tell me what's allowed and what's not allowed, what's celebrated versus what's disciplined. What is the culture of that family? 
What is the culture of that city? What is the culture of that church? And that's kind of the basis of what I want to talk about. See, culture is how the whole thing feels. It's hard to put your finger on it. You know, we, we, we put uh, ingredients into things, but it's hard to say, bing, 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 you get this, this, and this, and this is what you get. Culture is how the whole thing feels, okay? I want to give you an example. Peter Drucker said a few years ago, even in the business world, anybody ever heard of Peter Drucker? He was a, like a business guy, business guru. Drucker used to say, and this is in the business world, this was not even the context of church. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. The fact of the matter is, the best plans in the world in the wrong soil don't work. We have to have the right culture. Let me tell you, our family, uh, all of you probably had childhood friends, right? And I would assume you probably spent some time at their house, and they perhaps spent some time at your house. How different did some of those houses feel? What's the tone and the tempo at the table if you were even at the table? You know, how did people interact with one another? How did the whole thing feel? That is the thing that I'm talking about with culture. It's true in every family. Every family. You know, uh, does your family reunion, does it, uh, does it involve uh, screaming and shouting or hugs and tears or a little bit of both? You know, you have some of those different things. Same way, how does the whole thing feel? That's what I'm talking about in a life-giving culture. See, a mediocre seed will flourish in the right culture. But a genetically superior seed will wither and die in the wrong culture. You can have all the potential in the world, but with the wrong conditions, it doesn't work. We're talking about a life-giving culture. So I want to give you an example. See, culture is the immunity. So I work in healthcare, have for years, and I work a lot in um, autoimmune conditions. So the, uh, the immune system, autoimmunity, and things like this. I, I want to talk to you why this is important in the context of culture. See, in the right culture with a strong immune system, you can bump into bugs all day long. And you really don't even know it because they're, they're basically killed or neutralized on contact. But when your immune system is compromised, every little bug represents a threat to the whole body. And that's why culture matters. So the immunity or the, the life-giving culture in our family, I want you to think about this in the context of family for just a minute. I'm talking about the people that, you know, your people, your family. See, we have a culture that is happening whether or not we pay attention to it. It's going on. And the, the culture is one of those things that what is celebrated, what is disciplined, what's allowed, what's not allowed, how does the whole thing feel when your family gets together? You know, have you ever had a, one of these crazy families and, you know, you're talking to everybody, they're like, what's your family like? And it's like, dude, I don't even know where to begin. It's like, it's wonderful, but it's crazy. Um, it's, it's all this and everybody, you can't really get it unless you're a part of it. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, it's hard to describe it. And, and by the same virtue, if you see a family that's terribly dysfunctional, well, what's wrong in the same way, they'll, they'll be like, I don't even know where to begin. I, I just don't. It's, it's just not working. 
Same thing happens all across the country. You have families that are really strong and really life-giving. And you, I mean, they, they give away their strength all the time. You have others that can't seem to get it together. And so that's, that's the thing that I want to talk about in culture. And by the way, this is going to be an encouraging message because it is, it is a culture, a life-giving culture is one that is empowered by this, the Holy Spirit. And he lets us dream together. He lets us grow strong together. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the fact is, as believers, everybody that's a believer, you should be a little different. Your culture should be a little different. I'm not talking about weird, but I'm talking about you should be, a noti- you should be noticeably different. The church should feel a little different than it does at the bank. Listen, I'm not saying the kingdom can't happen in the bank or it can't happen in the barbecue store, you know. The, the kingdom can happen in all those places. But what I am saying, the church, your family as believers, it should feel a little different. It should be a little different. And see, let me tell you something. I know uh, this word is sometimes criticized, but your family and this church should be a happy place. It should be happy. And let me tell you, I want a life-giving family. I want my children and all those who interact with our children that come into your house or come into this church, you want them to be happy. There's not a thing in the world to be, I'm unashamed, I'm a glass half full guy. I'm, you know, if I do my strength finders, positivity's in the top five. And I'm unashamed of that. But I want you to know, church and family should be a happy place. But the thing that we have to understand is happiness is not predicated by what's going on around you. Happiness is predicated by what's going on in you. Happiness is an inside job. And that is why families, even going through the most difficult of circumstances, they've still got a spring in their step and a smile on their face because they say, yeah, I know all this is bad, but he's good and I'm smiling. That's the difference. Church and family should be a happy place. See, the environment that is alive and well in you will dominate the environment that's going on around you. That's a fact. That's a fact. See, we have a generation right now. We have more people. Did you know that more people are alive on the earth today than ever in recorded history? Like it's not even close. Like literally, you, you, you rewind 50 years, 50 years. Look at population. We have more people, more families, more churches, and more communities that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because God, all along, he wants a bigger family. God just wants a bigger family. That's why the gospel was that's why the gospel is what it is. That's why Jesus was sent. That's why we're called to be doing what we're doing. The gospel is good news for a big family. Who wants a big family? Big families are awesome. Who loves a full table? Especially when it's full of spaghetti and you know garlic bread and all this stuff and coffee afterwards. And you know, it's just I, I, I love a big family and I love a big table and all these things. Let me tell you, I also love when a person who's never experienced the life-giving person of Jesus understands that, hey, I need to know God. And this family is pretty, pretty good. This church 
I don't know exactly what it is, but something makes me better here. It's the life-giving culture of the believer. And that's, that's, it's kind of like this little... Um, Kind of like this little environment that goes with you when you go. Because you project something every time you step into a place and step out of a place. There's something that you project. And so I want to talk about that today. See, I mentioned that there's more people on the earth than ever before. There's more families. There is a war for the next generation. There is a war for the next generation. And I want you to know that never before have we had the amount of data and information and distractions and cares about, you know, who knows what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. You know, you always hear about that. You've got this crazy fear of missing out. Well, I'm not as good as this one or as that one. Let me tell you, there's a war for the next generation. And let me tell you, as families and as a church, we have to be specific and on purpose to be able to win them. Because let me tell you, our, our children, your children, the children in this community and in every community that we touch, we will win them if we represent the gospel well to them. And we have to be willing to invest and sacrifice to win the next generation because we have to have a life-giving culture in our family and a life-giving culture in our church for that to happen. Let me tell you, I told you church and family should be a happy place. It should be a place where I come alive. You know what? I'm at my best when I'm with my church. I'm at my best when I'm with my family. Because you know what? I can't describe it, but something good is happening here. And there's something that is different about a life-giving culture between people that love one another and love Jesus. There's something different about that culture. So I want to talk to you about five signs of a healthy, life-giving culture. Five signs that I want to talk about. Sign number one is unusual kindness. Unusual kindness. So I want to talk to you about, so you have to contrast, right? I want to talk to you about what usual kindness is, and I want to talk to you about what unusual kindness is. See, usual kindness is, I'm going to be kind because I have to. I'm going to be kind because I need something from you. And I'm going to be kind because I might get punished if I'm not, you know. So that's usual kindness, I want to talk to you about unusual kindness as sign number one. Acts 28, verses 1 through 2. Acts 28, 1 and 2. Paul is basically a prisoner at this time. He's on a ship. He's on one of his journeys as a prisoner in the ship. This is a remarkable scripture. It's not one that's um, read often, but this really stood out to me. He says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed us because it was raining and cold. And that's really all we see about the Maltan people right here. But I've got to tell you, those two words struck me very clearly. Something was different about the culture of the Malta people. And Paul says, when it was raining and cold, they, demonst- they didn't even know us. He was a prisoner. 
They, they demonstrated unusual kindness to us. A life-giving culture has unusual kindness. Give you an example. When I was a young man, about 16 or 17 years old, I grew up on a farm. Uh, anybody else grew up on a farm? You learn things on the farm that you don't learn everywhere else. So I grew up on a farm, on a cattle farm, and there was a neighbor. He was just a really, I call him a true southern gentleman. He, he spoke much more, much more uh, articulate than I did, and he just kind of had this, he kind of had this aura about him that was just, he's a guy that you disrespected, even though, you, you know, when you first met him, you disrespected him. But I, I had done some work for him, and, you know, my brother and I, he, he wanted us to, to build some fences and things like that. And we did, and just, you know, they, they were really kind to us. But a few months later, probably six months before he passed away, he called me over to his house, and he gave me what I call a big bush axe, which is, uh, it's got a long handle and a big uh, kind of hook-shaped thing on the end that you chop down bushes with, right? So he gave me one of those, and he had this really big, heavy bush axe. And now, listen, our bush axe is really sentimental. Uh, perhaps not, but it was to me. He says, he says Jason, um, I appreciate you as a young man. And he goes, I want, I want to give you this bush axe. I've had it almost my whole life. He goes, I want you to have it. And you can always remember that you had a friend in Dixie Kilpatrick. His name was Dixie Kilpatrick. And that was almost 30 years ago. And let me tell you, he demonstrated unusual kindness to me. It was the overflow from a healthy, life-giving culture that he and his family had. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. See, people can smell insincerity. You know, when we're kind, I, Rachel and I went to test drive a car here a while back, and, uh, and listen, you know, the, the, the person there that was helping us was very, very kind. But they were like <laughs> trying, to, trying to reel us in. They wanted something from us. And I could smell it a mile away. Then they had the manager come talk to us. Well, my manager wants to talk to you. He wants to get to know you a little bit. Oh, I'm sure he wants to get to know me. You know, he, he wants to get to know my bank account. But see, usual kindness, kindness like that, it doesn't pass what I call the sniff test. People can smell insincerity. Let me tell you, as a family and as a church, even as a community right here in Franklin, we need to be genuinely kind, not expecting anything in return. Because let me tell you, the kindness that we received from God, how did he offer that? Let me read you a scripture. This is out of Romans 2.4. It says, do you not, excuse me, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? See, it is the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. It is the kindness of God evident in your family that will be a source of strength for your family and all those who know it. It will be the kindness of God that's evident in your church that all those who are here and all those who interact with it will know. It is the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. See, all life-giving culture produces unusual kindness. 
We've even got a shirt. We, we've got a shirt down at our church in Alabama. And right on the front, right here, says radical kindness. And we go out and we just do stuff like you do here and, and just kind of serve the community. But, you know, we don't ask for a thing in return. And, I, and I've got to tell you, at first, people are like, what are you doing? But you know what? When we really represent the love of God, the grace that we've so freely received, and we start freely giving that away, all of a sudden, it makes a difference. They were just kind with no particular reason. Kindness is a language that cannot be misinterpreted. Now, you can, you can sniff out the insincerity, but kindness is a universal language. It works in every nation and in every people. Just like Dixie Kilpatrick. I didn't interact with him all that much, but what do I remember about him? He was a kind man, and I'll never forget it. Number two, I want to talk about unusual communication. So thing one was unusual kindness. I want to talk to you about unusual communication. That is one of the things, one of the outflows of a healthy, life-giving culture. Unusual communication. See, Ephesians 4.15, this is a powerful verse. You've probably heard it before, but hear me out. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. The truth in love. I'll give you another scripture later on in that same chapter, verse 29 in Ephesians 4, says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So I want to talk about the truth in love for just a minute. See, how many know we need some truth? But we need it delivered with love. The people in the world, the seven plus billion people, you know, I don't know who counts that stuff, but that's what they say. Um, There's a lot of people. There's more than ever before. That many people... How about the truth in love? Do they need to hear the truth in love? See, the fact of the matter is, the truth by itself is brutal. I need to hear the truth. You know, I I need to hear where I'm, I'm in error. But I also need to hear that spoken in love. See, the truth by itself is brutal. Love by itself is meaningless because it, it doesn't change anything. Just stand alone. But the truth spoken in love is redemptive. Because let me tell you something. Jesus himself, he was a truth teller. He didn't shirk around the truth and sugarcoat it. Let me tell you, there are people that can make you feel good. They can speak loving words and make you feel good about it as you continue down a path of destruction. It's, all, it's okay. Whatever makes, you, you know, whatever makes you happy. Well, that ain't the truth. Because whatever makes me happy won't save my family. It won't save my soul. Whatever happy won't do that. But let me tell you, when somebody tells us the truth and they speak it in love, the truth is Jesus come up to a person and said, you know what? Yeah, you were were caught in adultery. He comes up to this lady and says, you were caught right in the act. And I've heard the whole thing. And he goes, why don't you go and sin no more though? The woman at the well, he goes, yeah, this is not... This, this guy you're talking about, you've, you're not married. You've been married five times, and the person you're with is not your husband. And he didn't skirt around the truth. 
but he also brought it with love. And he goes, the truth in love is redemptive every single time. And I want to uh, give you a little snapshot of something we're doing. So Rachel and I lead a, a team, uh, just a marriage and family team. And we, we even did a, uh, a marriage summit last weekend down at, um, down at a place in South Alabama. It went really great. But we're, we're talking about uh, a guy that I have come to know. His name's Dr. John Savage. He wrote a book talking about effective listening. So we're talking about life-giving culture and unusual communication, right? So we're talking about listening. So he's got a few things here. I'm, I'm only going to give you a snapshot of it. This is kind of an adjunct to the, to the message. But Dr. Savage says there's what we call a communication gap because what you said is not always what I hear. Or what I said is not always what you hear. Give you an example. Somebody comes down to the lobby at the hotel and they say, they ask the person attending the desk there at the hotel and says, I need to go to the airport. And the person says, oh, I can help you. You pull out the driveway here. You pull out the hotel lobby. You turn left. You turn left again and keep on that road and you'll be right at the airport. And the person says, that's not what I meant at all. I, I don't need directions. I need a ride. Like I need a car. It's just lost in translation. Effective listening. So Dr. Savage talks about this. He, he says there's a difference between our words that we say, the tone in which we say them, and the body language that we have. It's called the 738-55 rule. 7% of our communication is the words that we speak. 38% of our communication is the tone in which we speak them. 55%, 5 5 is the body language that we convey that message in. That says a lot more than the words that, coming out, that are coming out of our mouth. Words, tone, and body language. See, there's this thing called inference and encoding. So when I hear something like that, when I hear a person say something, it is, I, I interpret that. Like I have to interpret what you're saying, the tone in which you're saying it, and, and how you deliver it if I can see you, right? Now, listen, I've got a phone right here, and the only impersonal conversation you can have is with Siri, right? Now, we can all have an impersonal conversation with Siri, and I can't see what Siri looks like or what she's saying. But everybody else, if it's an in-person conversation, you, you see that and you interact. So I want to give you an example. Healthy communication Unusual communication is one where you ask productive questions. In, in an important family conversation or an important church conversation, you need to ask productive questions. And Dr. Savage says, you know why? Because you can't ask a good question if you're not listening to begin with. You know what? I got something you need to hear. What does that communicate? As opposed to, you know, I've got something that I think you would really like to hear. How different does that feel? And that's what Dr. Savage is talking about here. Healthy, life, you know, life-giving cultures have unusual communication. See, I talked about productive questions. You know what the converse to a productive question is? A loaded question. Who loves the loaded question? That, you know, nobody likes loaded questions. You're like, uh, how do you think you look today? That's a loaded question, you know? 
Nobody likes that. And so the fact of the matter is, loaded questions often contain this big word called sarcasm. And I have friends that they have a PhD in sarcasm. And sarcasm is really funny until it's a really important conversation. And then it gets misinterpreted. And let me tell you why. Sarcasm has no place in an important conversation. Because it's all predicated on saying one thing, but meaning something different. That's the difference. Let me tell you, with your children and your grandchildren, you've got to be really careful with sarcasm. Because unusual communication makes sure that they're clear. That young man, I want you to know you've got what it takes. Young man... I believe in you, and you can accomplish anything you set your mind to because God has given you the grace to do it. Young lady, you're a gem. I need you to know that. I need you to know that you are worth fighting for, and you are precious in the sight of God. You don't need any sarcasm in any important conversation with your family or, or even in the church. Avoid the loaded question, okay? And now here's, here's a funny one. This was... Uh, this was really good last week. So we, we were talking about uh, how, how do we express emotions in conversations? Like it, you cannot have a conversation without emotion. Like it, it's, it's part of it. We are emotional creatures. God made us that way. It's okay. But we also have to understand. And so when we have something that is a robust conversation, just any topic, an important topic. See, people tend to do one of two things. You can act out or you can act in. Acting out versus acting in. Let me give you the difference. See, when a person acts out, everybody knows how they're feeling. You know, they come in the room, you don't have a question. You know, you know immediately how they're feeling. But the person who's acting in, they internalize it. And they kind of suppress it. I'll give you an example. This is what Dr. Savage teaches that I love so much. He says the person that acts out, they're more like a skunk. You know, with a skunk, when a skunk's got a problem, everybody around knows they got a problem. You know, you can smell it. And with, but the other one is a turtle. The person who acts in is a turtle. They tend to withdraw. They tend to withdraw. And, and my wife and I were having a great conversation. Those of you who know Rachel, I'm kind of the skunk and she's kind of the turtle. And the interesting thing is I, I can, I can be a skunk for a little bit, but you know, skunks are harmless. You know, you you spout it all out and you get it out and the, and the room's clear. But the turtle, now when the turtle comes out of the shell, the turtle will come out of the shell for one of two reasons. Number one is because they trust and they come out, they trust that it's a safe environment. Or number two, they're angry. And then they turn into the ninja turtle. And I got to tell you, it's, you know, you got to watch out for the ninja turtle because they don't come out for a while. But when they do, look out. Skunks usually don't marry turtles. Oh, excuse me, skunks usually don't marry other skunks. They marry turtles. We generally marry our opposite. I don't know if that always holds true. But Dr. Savage raised it, and I, I've got to tell you, I have found it to hold pretty true. But a life-giving culture practices unusual communication. And I can give my wife grace because I know that she reacts to things a little bit differently than I do. And I do compared to her. Let me tell you, people in your church right here, they, they care about you. People in your family, they care about you. But you need to hear them. Not only what they say, but what they mean. And don't let things be lost in translation. 
Healthy, life-giving cultures practice unusual communication. I may ask you an extra question or two because I don't want to misinterpret what's really going on. I don't want to misinterpret what you're saying. A life-giving culture produces unusual communication. Number three, unusual character. Unusual character. I want to read the scripture here. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, here's the part I really want you to get. Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, a life-giving culture recognizes that not every day is a great day. In this world, we will have tribulation. Trouble will find you. You don't even have to go looking for it. Sometimes it just finds you. But let me tell you, the life-giving culture is fixated on the fact that, hey, it could be a good day or a bad day. It can be any day at all. But there is a grace of God that's at work in me that it produces something called perseverance. That means I don't give up when the going gets tough. That means I hang in there because I know that I've got a Savior who loves me and a family that surrounds me and a church that supports me. I know that. And that perseverance produces character. And character here is something that I can't get otherwise because we're, we live in a community, we have a family, and we live in a world that they constantly go from good days to bad days. Because that's called normal. We all have it. But let me tell you, the life-giving culture does not fixate on the the goodness of the day or the badness of the day. It, It fixates on the fact that you have something in you called the grace of God that will help you sustain any situation. And it will help you grow through it. And you'll build character, which produces hope. And that hope does not disappoint. That's, that's the difference in the life-giving culture. You know what? Our families had bad days too. Our families had great days. We've had good trips and bad trips, just like you. But the difference is when we have a life-giving culture at work, it's called the grace of God. We look at the big picture. We don't look at the little picture, what's going on just right around us right here. We look at... Wait a minute, there's something bigger at work here. I will get something that I could not have otherwise gotten had I not walked through this situation. That's the difference of unusual character that is produced in a life-giving culture. Number four, unusual commitment. Unusual commitment. And these are all C words, and that's just because I am clever. So, not really. Uh, That's a C word too, by the way. But... uh, Unusual commitment. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He goes on to say, run in such a way as to get the prize. Run to win. Guys, I want to win in our family. I want to win in our church. I want to win in the world. 
And I know that not every day is a good day. But let me tell you, it doesn't remove my commitment or your commitment to win. I want to read the rest of the scripture. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. That means I, I prepare my family and myself and my church and my community. We make a difference. We want a life-giving culture that has unusual commitment. See, 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. This is Paul again writing to Timothy, his protege. says, that is why I am suffering as I am. See, yet this is no cause for shame because I know in whom I've believed. See, I know this stuff is going on, but I know in whom I've believed. And I am convinced that he's able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. That's what I'm talking about. When there's something on the inside that dominates anything that's going on on the outside. I may have every reason to be unhappy, but let me tell you, I got a source in happiness. I got a source of happiness on the inside that cannot uh, be, be quenched because it is called the grace of God for everyday life. Listen, we all know pain and we all know grief, but let me tell you, you can still put a smile on your face and say, Jesus said he will never once leave me or forsake me. And if it's not good yet, it is not the end because he said it would all work out good in the end. How many know that this life is temporary and we're working, to, working for something that is eternal that will not ever perish? We either believe that there's a life that is eternal or we don't. And let me tell you, I am convinced that this is just the warm up for the eternal dance. And we better be preparing right here because when we have an unusual commitment, that is why we believe, that is why we serve, that is why we work to have a family table that we can enjoy and, and spur each other on to good things. That is why we have a church that we're committed to growing spiritually. We will not stay stagnant because there's too big of a calling. Those are the reasons that we want an unusual commitment because there's a bigger purpose. The fact is, I want to be part of something bigger than me. I want you to be part of something bigger than you. There's a big, big world out there. And let me tell you, it is men and women, boys and girls, just like you, that will carry the gospel and reach the next generation. Because there is a war for the next generation. And when we are unusually committed to it, it kind of aligns our focus and all the little things that are going on around us, I call them the bumblebees of life. They buzz around and they look kind of big and ominous, but they don't sting you too much. If you've been stung by a bumblebee, I'm sorry. But I have not been stung by a bumblebee. But they're the biggest ones. You know, you get them all stirred up. You're like, oh. You get all worried about these things. And what was I all worried about? It's just a bumblebee. I'm not losing sight of the bigger picture that I have. Unusual commitment. See, Rick Warren, in perhaps one of the most sold books of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. Who's heard of the book? Most, most have. The first line in the book, does anybody know what it says? It's not about you. We are committed to something bigger than we are. Do I want my family to be strong and healthy? You betcha. Am I committed to being strong and healthy? You betcha. The same in this church, the same in our community. That's what we're committed to. 
But it's not about me. It's about people that I don't even know yet. It's about families that they don't even know that they can make it yet. It's about people that God so desperately wants to be part of his family. And your family might be the very one to reach that family. Because you're all part of the thing here. Okay? Let me say this. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, he says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul recognized that he couldn't save the world. But I'll tell you right now, he made a difference. You need to recognize that you can't save the world, but you represent the one who can. And I can't tell you what every person who every person is that you may reach or every family that you may reach, God knows. See, there's some things I can know and there's some things I can't know. I go back to the potential in that seed. In a life-giving culture, even a mediocre old seed will flourish. You say, well, our family's just a regular old family. You know what? If you cultivate the right culture in your family, look out because it'll blow your mind about the purposes that God has for you when you're unusually committed to the life-giving culture in your family and in your church. See, I'm going to read one more scripture. And um, actually, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go to the last point. I need to wrap. The last thing is unusual calling. So we had unusual kindness. We had unusual communication. We have unusual commitment, right? And we have an unusual calling. I forgot character as well. But calling. See, and we're going to close here in just a minute, but Galatians 1.13 says this. This is a powerful scripture. I really want you to get this. This is the same guy we've been talking about. Paul wrote this. Paul says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How many of you have plenty of people that they know what you were like too? There's a lot of people who knows what I was like. Paul says, you know what I was like, B.C. You know, we all have a time that was B.C., before Christ. Paul says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. And then down in verse 23, he says, all that they knew is that the people were saying, the one that used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy. There was something different. Paul had an unusual calling, an unusual calling, and he also challenges us to have and embrace that same unusual calling. Let me tell you what unusual looks like. And we'll read out of Luke 5, 29 through 32. Are we willing to be a little unusual to project a life-giving culture? Luke 5, 29 through 32 says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat 
and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them in a very unusual way. That's King Jason version. He, he answered them and said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. See, a life-giving culture rallies people around an unusual calling. And let me tell you, you are called and committed to something bigger than you can even believe. And listen, I've spent enough time talking with Keith, and I know Keith and Bob and Kent and your leadership team here, they've got a heart to reach people that so desperately need Jesus in their life and in their family. That is the calling of the gospel. Let me tell you, you say, well, uh, I want to be in the ministry, or I don't, think I, I don't think I'm called to be in the ministry. If you've been born again, you in the ministry. You are in the ministry. Let me tell you, sitting around your family table may be some of the most important ministry you'll ever do. As you gather here on Sunday morning and welcome people into this place and interact in your community, some of the most important ministry that you'll ever do. Read this and then we're done. See, here's what a life-giving culture does. You know, I told you when I began that it's how the whole thing feels. A life-giving culture is how the whole thing feels. How does your family experience your family? How does, how does this church family experience this church family? Let me read a scripture. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Because the fact is we all fall. Scripture says we have all fallen short of the glory of God. It says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. See, last scripture, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? This comes out of Hebrews. You may say, well, that sounds really good. And I really want to be better and I want to have a better family, a stronger family. I want to have a better church, a more effective church. I want to have a better community, a more effective community that people around the world would be drawn to it. I want all those things, but you don't really know me and you don't know what I was like and you don't even know what all I've got going on right now. And frankly, I've tried to do good before, but it, it doesn't always work out. So I'm just kind of trying to Hold, hold the fort down right now. Let me read something to you. And this is a powerful moment. This is a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture that I pray it ministers to you right now. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We want a strong, life-giving culture, but we all have weaknesses. I got a PhD in weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You have a family. 
You may say we're a functional family or we're a dysfunctional family or we're somewhere in between. You may say we've got a church family. You may say we've got a functional church family or a dysfunctional church family. Same in your community. But I want you to know, Jesus says you will have grace in your time of need. When it's a great day or a not so great day, never fail to realize the fact that Jesus called us to be a life-giving culture and he gives us the grace to do it. I know my man Keith, the dear, dear friend, I, the first conversation we had on the phone, first one, he goes, Jason, I'm committed to reaching people with the grace of God in the gospel. That's thing one. Is that right? That hasn't changed. And a life-giving culture in your family and here at New River Fellowship will blow your mind at the things that God has in store for you. Let me pray for you. God, I honor you for your faithful provision and the fact that you call us to something beyond what we even think or can imagine. You said if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I pray if there's anyone here today that if you've never experienced the life-giving grace of Jesus, that you would do so today. He wants you to have a great family. He wants you to have a great church family. And he wants you to grow his family. And I just pray that we would celebrate the life-giving culture that is made possible to us by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Can you guys say thank you to Jason for sharing with us this morning? Uh, I want you to stand. We're going to just finish with a blessing. And uh, we, we love to finish with just a, a benediction, a, a prayer over you as you go. And I just had a sense that th- this, this culture, that some of you, uh, as Jason was speaking, that you have a hunger and desire Uh, for the culture of heaven to be imparted to you into your home, into your relationships, um, into your workplace. And so the blessing I'm gonna pray over us is with respect to that. And so if you feel comfortable, just would you put your hands out on attitude of resentment? You don't have to do this, but if you feel comfortable to do it. And we're just gonna believe that God's gonna impart his culture into us. And that whatever it is that you desire of God in you that he'll impart it to you if you're willing to ask. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask for the impartation of the culture of heaven to be imparted to us. Right now, I, I, I feel specific. I'm supposed to pray for every man in this place that the culture of the king of the universe would be imparted to you. That you would walk men as a gracious, loving, kind father, as a friend, as a king. Father, would you impart your kingdom into us over every female in this place, Lord. Strength, dignity, honor, 
power. God, would you impart your kingdom culture into each one of us? I pray we would not leave this building without receiving by faith from your Holy Spirit the kingdom culture that you have longed to impart to us because you're a good father who gives good gifts to his children. May we function out of the fullness of what we receive today. And I pray that we would be culture changers in every arena and every place we go. Help us to take you. We love you. We thank you for this time. We bless you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. We'll see you here next week, Food Truck Sunday. Be blessed.